Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders Podcast, where we chat all things leadership and personal development related, absolutely authentically and unscripted. On this podcast, my guests and I are going to introduce you to ideas and concepts that show how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage and motivate you on your journey to becoming a legendary leader yourself with more impact, influence and inspiration. So, are you ready for it? Welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm your host of this show. Today I'm accompanied by a, such a wonderful guest. Her name is Dr. Taryn Marie Steiskoll and we are talking about all pieces that are related to resilience really. She is the author of Flourish or Fall, the five practices of particularly resilient people. And I don't know about you, but when I started diving deeper into resilience and what makes people very resilient and what does it actually mean? I was always thinking about, oh, it's someone who can really overcome challenges pretty quickly, bounce back pretty quickly, who's really self-aware, who looks after oneself and so on and so forth. But there's so, so, so much more to it. Resilience is really everything I've just said. You find your own way to be resilient, first of all. There is no one size fits all. But also, it is about taking the awareness that you have gained from certain challenging experiences around you and taking them forward to the next level. So you grow, you develop yourself, and you take the learning with you in order to have even higher awareness going forward, more learning going forward, and you will probably manage the next challenge or crisis whilst being a little bit more at ease because you have this enhanced knowledge now. And that is really what resilience is about. Dr. Taryn Marie is going far more into detail because she really has dived into those five different practices in more and more detail, really highlighting what are the five practices, how can we apply them, how do they show, and how can we really build them into our day-to-day. As always, we want to make things easy for you, right? Not even harder, Especially in current times, it's quite challenging to remain resilient. We are surrounded by the digital world. We are still going through a pandemic. Suddenly, the political and economical environment are a challenge in itself, to be honest. We don't quite know where we are heading, what's going to happen. And that's a a state I think we are going to remain in because change became more constant. But there are people who will struggle with that. And it's totally okay to say I'm struggling with it. And there are people who say, no, I can actually deal with the adversity and uncertainty. I can manage it, but I'm here to support others through it. And I think by applying those five practices, we can all support each other. But first of all, as always, it starts with ourselves. How can we apply it to our own lives to feel stronger and to be the best we can be for ourselves and other people around us? Dr. Taryn Marie is the former head of executive leadership development at Nike, which is incredible. And she has done an amazing job there. She's also the global leadership development at Signa. And then she founded her own company, which is called Resilience Leadership. So she's really focusing on top leaders and helping them to understand and build their own strong level of resilience. So you can see she is an absolute expert, but at the same time, a wonderful, authentic, 
warm and fun human being, which I'm sure you will notice when listening to this episode. So enjoy the show. Let us know afterwards what you think of it. So share your feedback. We always want to hear what you think, what you want to hear more of. And uh, I'll speak to you again in a short moment. Hello and welcome, Taryn. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's lovely to have you here uh, in such an important time with such an important topic. So today we're going to talk all things resilience in particular and you are the best person to talk to really, a real expert in the field. So it will be nice to hear more about your approach and view and research around the topic resilience, but also to hear more about your own very personal story, diving right into vulnerability, um, which is one of those core behaviors that are part of resilience. Before we dive right into the show though, how have you been? How have you actually dealt with all the change and the new complexities that we are faced by? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because resilience is really having a, a renaissance right now. And, you know, resilience was, you know, people were really interested in resilience before the pandemic, but in some ways it was really nice to have. And now the idea of resilience feels really critical for a lot of people, for business leaders, for teams, for organizations. I'd say what I, what I hadn't anticipated is that in some circles, you know, I think people can feel maybe shamed in some ways around resilience or like resilience can be weaponized in some ways. So oftentimes when I speak to groups and I kind of come on, you know, people are like, oh no, like she's going to tell me that I'm not doing it right and I'm not resilient enough and I need to pick it up or something like that. And, and resilience isn't at all about that, thankfully. It's about meeting all of us where we are yeah. And it's allowing the challenges that show up in our lives individually, collectively, and facing those challenges thoughtfully with intention and allowing ourselves to be enhanced by those experiences, not diminished by them. And so resilience is a really powerful concept for right now. And I would say it's to answer your question, it's something I've had the opportunity to not only you know, work with as a concept deeply, but also apply to my own life in these moments. And I'll tell you, I have, I have moments where, you know, I'm, I'm really sort of firing on all resilience cylinders, we'll call it. Mm -hmm. And there are other days that are, that are really, really difficult and tough. And so I think it's important to also allow, to allow space for that, right. To allow ourselves to have both good days and bad days a quote that I like to say a lot is the only insane thing is to try to be sane all the time. So resilience isn't about being perfect. Resilience isn't about having it all together, you know, being completely buttoned up every moment, but really allowing ourselves to meet ourselves where we are and to work through the five practices of particularly resilient people to be the best that we can be in any moment. And sometimes our best is going to look different based on, you know, where our headspace is and, and what's going on. Ah, oh, wonderful. And what I really love about what you've just said is the enhancement piece. And I read a bit about your research where you focus very much on the future and that resilience is all about coming out of this challenging situation where we face challenge, change, complexity with a kind of a new 
version of ourselves, an enhanced version of ourselves. And I found that so, so powerful. It gave me right away a completely new motivation. So yeah. Before I hit the record button, we were talking about that I quite admire you for various things, but in particular, how you juggle so many different dynamics in your own life. You're a mom of two young boys, you just mentioned. You have a successful business. You have been in some very high profile corporate roles with Nike, with Cigna, and so on and so forth, still having a wonderful reputation for you're an international speaker. And you just mentioned something very valuable and that is about our best looks sometimes different. And it doesn't always mean that we are fantastic and that we are always in the best shape. So if we look onto your, your personal life and everything I've just described, mm -hmm. how do you get back to being resilient? How do you get through the tougher times, the challenging times? So I'll talk about some of the strategies mm -hmm. that I use that work well, but I also want to talk about some of the times when things don't work well, because yeah. I think that's important for people to understand as well. Yeah. So for me, I put a couple of things in place for myself, or at least I try to put a couple of things in place for myself throughout the day that are helpful for me. So one is I had a friend and a colleague who worked at the, the White House here in the United States during the Obama administration. And she wouldn't schedule meetings in the morning between, you know, eight and noon, because inevitably she would come into the office and there would be some kind of like fire to put out or something urgent. And so while she's attending to that, she and her administrative assistant are trying to move meetings around. So she has time to attend to whatever the thing is. And so the first thing that I do, it's simple, but it's meaningful. I try not to schedule meetings in the morning. And so what that does is like if school's canceled, if drop-off doesn't go long, now that we're quarantining here in the United States, right, a lot of our learning is distance learning. And so I have that time to get my children on Zoom to make sure they're connecting with their classes, to make sure breakfast is made. And if anything urgent's happening, I've got that space in the morning, that margin where I can work through any issues or problems. And in addition to that, what I find for myself is that I tend to be more fresh in terms of my creativity and, and my brain power to be able to work on projects and, and write and to do those types of things in the morning. So I tend to schedule as many of my meetings as I can in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So that's one kind of resilience hack that works for me. The second thing is what I realized when I was in corporate and as an entrepreneur I've been guilty of this since I've had children, is we don't get enough sleep. And if you look at the Neuroleadership Institute in New York, which is headed by a, a dear colleague and, and mentor of mine, David Rock, that institute looks at applying the neuroscience or what we know about how the brain works to businesses, to an organizational setting. And when they set out to talk about resilience, essentially their full approach, at least initially to resilience, was allowing people to have enough time for rest and restoration mm -hmm. and sleeping enough. And so for us as parents who are also executives and leaders and entrepreneurs and founders, I have been guilty for a long time since my children were born eight years ago of not getting enough sleep. And so I've really worked on investing in getting seven to eight hours a night. Again, it's simple, but it, it makes a significant difference. And I would say the third thing that's been really helpful, especially during this pandemic, is to assume positive intent. And what that means is to recognize that I'm doing my best and to give myself grace for whatever 
that version of my best looks like on a particular day. And also to give other people grace because we all have a sense universally of what we're experiencing in this global pandemic, but everyone's story is also unique, right? There's a universal element and there's a unique element. And just going to people, maybe if I'm waiting for a client deliverable or for someone to get back to me and approaching them from a posture of, hey, maybe I missed the email or how can I help rather than having a different perspective of maybe the person's not giving it their best, right? So to just assume positive intent, assume that we're all doing our very best. So for me, it's keeping my mornings clear, getting enough sleep and assuming positive intent are three kind of pretty basic things that have been helpful for me. I'll tell you the times when it doesn't go well. Yes, please. (laughs) It's no secret on my website and, and many other places that I'm also a survivor of trauma. And I've come so far. I'm so proud of the work that I've been able to do in this space. And, you know, for those of you that are listening to this recording, I would say that I had symptoms at a diagnosable level of post-traumatic stress disorder for two decades after having a stalker in high school who came to our home intermittently and, and tried to break in. And after I went away to university, ended up brutally raping and uh, assaulting a woman in our in our neighborhood and at some point along the way I, I developed symptoms of PTSD at a, at a diagnosable level and had those for over over 20 years and so that's things like feeling uncomfortable in new environments you know having difficulty staying home by yourself feeling uncertain and not sure if you want to kind of trust new people and navigating those symptoms call it was really difficult I don't have Uh, symptoms at the diagnosable level anymore, but I do find myself still working through elements of that trauma and and other traumas. Um, I was also in a a verbally and what became a physically abusive uh, romantic relationship. And what I found the other day is I was in a conversation with my current partner, who's as kind and and lovely and thoughtful and big-hearted as he possibly could be, And he was in a moment of kind of stress or pressure and he snapped at me, which is not something that he usually does, but, you know, he kind of had this gruff response and I froze and I cried and I had this, you know, sort of traumatic trauma triggered response to him doing that because it took me back to something in my past. And so that's a time when it didn't go so well, right? Like I felt awful for eight hours and he felt awful and he was beating himself up. And so as a couple, you know, we've been working through the past couple of days from a resilience standpoint, how do we navigate through that sort of area that's a place of residual trauma for me? And so we've agreed that we're going to get some help from a therapist and have someone help us facilitate a conversation around that give me resources to deal with that when those triggers show up for me, give him resources to support me, you know, when that happens, have him read a book about dating someone who's experienced trauma and and how he can understand that and help me through those moments. But the point is we don't always do it right. We don't always do it perfectly, but that's a lesson, right? And the beauty of it is obviously I can't speak for you, but I'm in a partnership as well where we are both, characterized by certain past experiences and it is sometimes hard to open up the conversation so I admire you for saying you know we are going to talk to a therapist we we are going to get help to facilitate this conversation we did the same and the beauty of it is when I look back now I'm like we we are so much stronger and it feels so much more at ease and 
there's just this fantastic bond and it doesn't mean that nothing else can ever happen. You get to this next level of awareness of knowledge, right? And you will get to a next point of crisis at some point and you work through it, but you know, you are able to work through it. Mm-hmm. Now, remember reading about what you're doing, how you're helping others. And you refer a lot to living up to your fullest potential. It raised a question for me. I was like, what does that even mean? Raising up to the full potential, really getting there. What does it mean for you to live to your fullest potential? You know, I think when we use words in coaching and in leadership development, like transformation and, you know, the big, you know, live up to your highest potential, you know, so many people think what you just said, which is like, what, what does that even mean? And sometimes this idea of like living up to our fullest potential, it can feel like a really lofty goal even like tone deaf at times, right? In terms of like what we're going through with quarantine and this global pandemic, because there's a lot of people and and myself included on certain days where we're like, you know, I don't know if I'm living up to my fullest potential. I'm just trying to get through the day, right? Like I'm just trying to get my work done and get my children to like finish their work for homeschool, dinner, get them in a bath and get them to bed on time. And like for me that day, like that's the most that I can do. You know, I think the first part of the answer to your question is that recognizing that our fullest potential at times, at least on like a micro level, is a moving target, right? Like my fullest potential tomorrow might be finishing my book proposal, right? Mm. To get to uh, my literary agent so that I'm putting a book out into the world or finishing the online course that I've been working on. And some other days it might just be like getting through the day with a smile on my face and and not raising my voice, you know, at my children because I feel frustrated. So I think it's important to recognize that that can be a moving target for each of us individually. Secondly, what it looks like for each of us to live up to our fullest potential, say on like a macro level, right? Like over the course of our lifetime, that looks different too. And so thinking about not everyone has a really sort of grand idea of wanting to have, you know, a global platform or be very visible, right? And that's that's absolutely okay because what each of us is meant to contribute at our highest level is going to look different, but it's no less valuable. I'll just say like someone who's a career waiter or a waitress and takes pride in bringing food to the table of diners, right? And they're a career server or someone who's a career musician or a, a teacher, right? Or the people that were outside my home this morning, right? Collecting the garbage and the recyclables. We all have a purpose and we all have potential and recognizing what that is for each of us. It won't be the same for each of us, Mm -hmm. but recognizing that we all have that and however we manifest that and bring it to life is incredibly valuable. Yeah. And I'll just say one more thing about purpose. I think finding our life purpose, right? Like this, this is an area that can be weighty and emotional for a lot of people because there's many people over the course of their life who wonder, one, are they living into their potential? Are they living up to their life purpose? And two, what is it? And three, is it too late? And so I want to say about that two really important things. One, I don't think we find our life purpose once and for all. Maybe we do. You know, Mark Twain said the two most important days in our lives are the day we were born and the day that we find out why. I love that quote. 
I don't know that there's one single day though that we find out why. I mean, maybe for some people and, and I applaud that and support that. But I think for most of us, if you think of the children's story of Hansel and Gretel, when they were lost, first they used breadcrumbs and those didn't work. And then they used pebbles, right? Yes. In the moonlight. Yeah. And I think finding our life purpose, finding our way home to our life purpose and the way that Hansel and Gretel did, right? Like home is a metaphor for life purpose. I think it can look a lot like walking on a dark path, sometimes in the moonlight, and just picking up a pebble and saying, okay, now I'm meant to do this. And then we walk a few more steps mm. and then we pick up the next pebble, the next clue, you know, to what gets us home to our life purpose. Yeah. And I think it's more of a process for most of us than it is, you know, sort of this once and for all episode or moment. And, you know, the last thing that I'll say about life purpose and our full potential is that so many of us, myself included, are afraid to miss our chance and we're afraid that it's too late. And um, when I turned 40, I remember seeing this meme and it said, at age 40, Julia Child, famous French chef, was still working in advertising. You know, she hadn't transitioned yet to as we know her as being the sort of luminous French chef. And Stan Lee, who's the author of the, the Marvel comic series, he just like published his first comic after he turned 40. And so, so often I think we believe that if we haven't made our mark early on in our lives, that maybe we missed our chance. And I think there's a whole realm of experience and opportunity later on in life that makes it entirely possible for us to continue to pursue our life purpose and our passion and to live into our full potential. I love what you are saying there. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really interesting. I was actually thinking about this topic quite a lot today. Who inspires me? Who am I following? Instead of necessarily comparing myself to people in the same field. What I realized was that I'm following and reading about women in particular who started to dive into or onto a new path at a later stage in their lives. And they are just fully diving into it and exploring it with such an amazing level of openness and audacity as well. And that really, really inspires me because it gave me this peace to say, you know what, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay mm -hmm. to want something different at a later stage. And it's not too late. It really speaks to two principles of resilience and maybe even more, right? It's this idea of first the vulnerability to be able to give voice to those thoughts and experiences and feelings that we have on the inside. Mm -hmm. So the first practice of particularly resilient people of vulnerability really came forth in my work as vulnerability is allowing our inside self, what we're thinking and feeling and experiencing on the inside, to allow that to the greatest extent possible to match our outside self or the self that we're showing to the world. So when we think about that in terms of vulnerability and, and why that's resilient, well, first of all, if we're thinking and feeling one thing on the inside and then we're projecting a different version of ourselves to the world or to certain people in our lives, we're really running two operating systems, kind of human operating system, right? Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of energy. It takes twice as much energy to run two operating systems as opposed to one. So when we're able to be more congruent, to be more synergized in terms of allowing people to really know us, that first of all takes less energy. It takes less energy to be truthful about who we are than it does to hide. The second part of that is 
when we allow people to truly know us and to truly see us, especially in those moments, as you mentioned earlier, Kathleen, of challenge, change, and complexity, we can get the help we need. We can get the resources. We can get the information because we allow people to know in those moments what we're, what we're truly going through um, or going for. And as it pertains to changing the course of our path or having something put in our path and to be able to say, I don't know if that's for me, I think that also really connects to the second practice of particularly resilient people, which is the practice of productive perseverance, right? And this is the practice of deciding how we most intelligently pursue a goal. And sometimes that means on the one hand being really gritty and just continuing to pursue a particular goal. And on the other hand, it means like picking our head up and saying, you know, I don't know that this is for me anymore. I want to go in a different direction. And having the courage and the willingness to look at what that might be like. And pivoting in a new direction can be scary. It's also important. You know, we talk about grit a lot, Mm -hmm. especially with Angela Duckworth's seminal work. And I think grit is a wonderful concept, the idea of really like continuing to pursue a goal. And it works really great when the landscape doesn't change, you know? So if you want to be a Navy SEAL, there are certain requirements to be a Navy SEAL and you can be very gritty and you can pursue that, right? And get to your end goal or, you know, Angela Duckworth studied people in the Naval Academy, you know, here in the United States, right? Again, a very sort of like arduous but rewarding path right to graduating Mm -hmm. from the naval academy and again there's a series of courses and things that you go through over the course of your time there in in university and so in those moments it's great to be gritty because those pathways to achieving the goal they don't change necessarily or change significantly on the other hand the sort of being willing to pivot in a new direction to intelligently pursue our goal I think so many of us are in that moment right now. We recognize that the world has changed. Our marketplace has changed. Maybe our clients and customers have changed. Our distribution models have changed. Our way of interacting socially changed, right? And so being able to pick our heads up and look around and to say, is my business model still right? You know, are goals and objectives still accurate? Is my team delivering on, you know, or is our energy being, you know, spent or utilized in the best way possible? And to really look at how the market's changed, the potential for disruption, mm-hmm. and how we might enhance our business models or break our own business models mm-hmm. in order to engage or harness the way that our our world has changed so fundamentally and significantly. Absolutely. In particular, at the moment, we have to make so many choices and decisions. But at the same time, I think we must not forget that an important aspect is also to tune in, tune into ourselves and to say, okay, do I actually want to be on this track? As you said, do I want to pursue this particular goal? Is it the right one for me? Does it feel right? You uh, mentioned practice number one a few times. You already were diving into practice number two. So Mm -hmm. let's explore the other three practices of leaders who really show resilience. What are they? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you actually gave me the perfect, I don't know if you realized it, but you gave me sort of the perfect like tee up for practice number three, which is connection. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Ta-da! And so connection is just what you were saying, Kathleen. It's twofold. It's being able first 
to connect deeply to ourselves and to really understand who we are, to trust ourselves, to hear our intuition to your point, the voice within, to trust our gut, to not abandon ourselves in favor of doing what we think we quote unquote should do or or to please others, right? So to be really connected with who we are, however we do that, right? So I've had people ask me like, is yoga part of resilience? Is meditation part of resilience? Is breath work part of resilience? And, and my answer is always like, it, it can be, absolutely, right? We don't prescribe how you connect more deeply with yourself. Yeah. We get to decide how we connect deeply with, our, with ourselves. But the point is that we do through the mechanisms that work for us and speak to us. And then obviously the second part of connection is connecting externally to our community, to our friends, to our family, to our colleagues, and to be able to draw a sense of strength and support from those relationships and to be able to give and receive that support. Absolutely. What I don't want to neglect is the fact that you shared very, very openly more about your traumatic experience when you were a teenager and then yeah. when you went to university. And every time I read about this experience or now I've heard about it, Honestly, my stomach gets just very, very tight. I'm like, how did she do that to experience something like this and then to focus on resilience and to step into this journey of helping other people to become more resilient? So first of all, thank you so much for sharing this story so openly. Yeah. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm pretty sure other people may resonate with it or say, wow, okay, she can do it. I can do it as well. The second question basically that emerged for me was, how did you do it? What led you then on this really strong path, at least strong from my perspective to say, yes, this is what I'm going to focus on. This is what I'm going to do. Gosh, it's, it's such a big question. It's such an important question. And I'll tell you that I don't still have all the answers uh, to that. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll start with a practice of resilience. I'll start with the vulnerability, the first kind of practice and foundational aspect of resilience. And, you know, within that practice, that first practice of vulnerability, I started to think about, well, if we know that vulnerability now through the research that I've conducted is important for resilience, and in fact, Brene Brown, for you, Kathleen, and others who might be familiar with her, she's done a lot of research on wholehearted living, right? Yeah. Like, who are the people who live these lives that feel worthiness and, and feel valuable. She's found vulnerability is an important aspect of, of living in that wholehearted way. And so I thought, well, why, why aren't we all sort of running around living these fabulously vulnerable lives? Mm. Especially because when we think about it through a leadership lens, we're talking a lot now and have been about these concepts of authentic leadership, of empathetic leadership, and really authentic leadership and empathetic leadership. You know, vulnerability is the soil that empathy and authenticity grow in, right? We can't be authentic without first being vulnerable, showing part of who we are. We can't be empathetic without being vulnerable to our own feelings and then extending that to someone else. And so what I found was this concept of the shame bias, right? The shame bias where we believe that if we show ourselves, people truly know us, if we tell our resilient stories, if you will, that people 
through the lens of the shame bias, they won't like it in some way or they won't like us. And particularly, we fear that people won't like us, won't love us, and they might leave the three L's, right? The ultimate sort of fears that we have often in our human relationships. And so what the shame bias tells us is that we all have experiences that we hold back for fear of being judged. And what I like to say is we all carry around sort of an invisible piece of paper. And on that invisible piece of paper, the words are written, people would think I was crazy if they knew. And then there's a blank a blank space. And all of us have like at least one thing to sort of write in that blank space, yeah. right? The thing or things, you know, I've got a scroll, right? Like a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff. And so one of the things on that list for me for a long time was that trauma that I felt like I needed to hide it, that I thought people would think less of me as opposed to thinking more of me. I think one of the elements that I've learned on this journey, like how did I get through it? Again, it's like life purpose, right? There's like, oftentimes there isn't like a once and for all, like one moment, you know, where you sort of, oof, you really, you really nailed trauma, you know, but it's day by day, bit by bit, sometimes a few steps forward and a lot of steps back and good and hard work. But what I'd say, you know, one thing that I learned is that telling people, allowing myself to share who I truly am is an important part of that healing process. Not everyone will want to stick around for that. I like to say, you know, we'll be too much for some people, you know, or not enough for some people. But we can keep going until we find our people. We can keep going until we find our tribe. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first piece is just allowing myself to not hide and to be in my vulnerability. The second piece is, you know, to recognize that we don't need to feel ashamed of the challenges that we've faced. And, and I still grapple with this, especially related to my trauma. But so often we think when we face a challenge, maybe in the workplace, if we have a, a failure or a loss or we don't meet our numbers or a product doesn't go the way we want to, or in our personal life, you know, having trauma or some type of experience that shaped us, recognizing that that feeling of brokenness, right, or having been broken or nearly broken by something, that it actually isn't brokenness at all, that it's, that it's really beautiful, that our brokenness is who we are in the full sort of beautiful complement of who we are, you know, as humans. And so in those moments when I feel bad, when I'm with my partner and I'm like, I am so sorry that I had that response and I feel so bad that I'm not able to at least yet, right? I'm drawing on growth mindset. I'm not able to show up as a fully functioning person in those moments where that that trauma trigger shows up for me, but to recognize that I don't have to feel that that's a broken part of me, that it's a beautiful human part of me that, you know, we have opportunity to, to be tender with and to work through together. And I wonder, you know, how often you have told your story or written about it, And people might have sent you a message or called you and said, wow, that was so inspirational. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, That really helped me. That's what often happens, right? As a result, because we are graving for it to feel we are not alone. Mm -hmm. We are graving for authenticity of people who are real. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I, I think that brings us to the fourth 
practice of particularly resilient people. You were just like teeing these up for me to like <laughs> knock there out the chart, right? Ting. What can I say? What can you say? <laughs> it's <Okay>. a talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The fourth practice of particularly resilient people is the practice of gratiosity. And that's a combination of the word for gratitude and for generosity. Yeah. And it's just what you said, Kathleen, which is, you know, first of all, the gratitude part is the ability to look on the challenges that we've faced, typically after some time has passed, and to be able to see the good in those challenges, even if we wouldn't have chosen that scenario, even if we wouldn't have chosen that experience. And so I can look on this experience of having this stalker in high school, having this traumatic experience. And while I wouldn't want to do it again, and I wouldn't want anyone else to have to go through it, I can look on it and I can see the good in it. I can feel grateful for what happened because as a result of that, and being someone who's been shaped significantly by a traumatic experience, what I've had the opportunity to do is to learn how to face fear, to keep myself safe in moments where I feel afraid, and then also to use those skills and tools with other people, right? Because so many of the leaders and executives that I work with and organizations and, you know, C-suite level teams, they often feel quite afraid too, but not because there's a stalker outside their window, but because they don't want to fail or because they have a big span of control or because the world's changing in these significant ways and we're not sure yet, you know, how we will go about being successful or, or pivoting our organizations. And so I have such gratitude for that experience because I can see the good in how it shaped me, both for me personally and how I can also use that experience to help other people. And then to your point, the generosity part of gratiosity is drawing on that foundational piece of vulnerability and to be able to share these stories with others generously so that others can learn or benefit from our stories or not feel alone to your point by experiencing our own journey vicariously. And so, you know, just to what you said, I have, I've heard from so many people that have said, gosh, thank you for humanizing this experience. Thank you for talking about your trauma. It gives me hope for my healing. It lets me know that I don't have to be diminished or minimized by what happened to me, that whatever I thought within me was broken, I began to believe is now beautiful. And if we refer that back to the organizational environment, think, so many people around us have been made redundant, have been furloughed. And when I speak to some of those individuals, they say, feel so ashamed of having lost my job. I feel so ashamed to look in the eyes of my husband and say, okay, I'm, I'm not an equal earner. And to let go of this and by talking to others and by sharing and getting into, uh, coming back to the connection into a community where you can talk more about it. It's so, so important. I don't have a really lovely lineup here. I have no lineup at all, to be honest, but let's talk about practice number five. Yeah. So practice number five is the practice of possibility. You know, what this tells us is that in every moment of challenge or change or complexity, again, there's kind of this polarity, right? Of On the one hand, if you think about the Chinese character for crisis, the Chinese character for crisis is a combination of two characters, the character for danger and the character for opportunity. And so when we think about the practice of possibility, it's about being able to acknowledge and function 
in a space where we fear or we feel sort of this palpable sense of danger, whether that's fear of failure, that's fear of loss, that's fear of not performing. And then on the other hand, being able to see in the midst of a crisis, if you will, or challenge or change or complexity, to be able to acknowledge that danger, but also to acknowledge the opportunity that's inherent in every moment. And for a long time, from a leadership perspective, you know, we thought it was like IQ, like intelligence of the leader was really going to be the differentiator. And then, you know, with the advent of Daniel Goleman's work and sort of emotional quotient and capacity and intelligence, we said, oh, you know, you need to be intelligent, but you also need to be like emotionally intelligent to be able to connect with people. And now there's a new quotient, if you will, that's emerging, which is the adversity quotient or AQ. So the idea, it's not IQ, it's not EQ, but maybe it's AQ, the adversity quotient, which is this idea that for those of us that are able to stay connected to ourselves, to our people, to our businesses in the midst of significant and continuing challenge, change, and complexity, being able to have a capacity to continually face adversity and, and to be sort of high in a quotient of being able to face adversity, that this, I think, in our current environment becomes a differentiator for us. You know, Thomas Edison, a great American inventor, said, I didn't fail as an inventor. I just found 9,999 ways not to do the thing. So if we can take the posture, right, of possibility of what's possible and to keep going and to keep trying out solutions, even in a landscape of uncertainty and fear, this is really one of our highest order, if you will, resilience behaviors. Yeah. What's your next pebble, basically? And sometimes the pebbles are hidden under a leaf and you've got to just explore them and find them. It's not always obvious. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Tara and I could talk to you literally forever. But at the same time, this gives the audience a really wonderful opportunity to find out more about you on their own and to um, read more about you, get in touch with you. And I'm sure... Now is the time to get Terran's support on board, especially when you are an organization who really wants to bring in more resilience, a different level of resilience, perhaps, into your organizations, into your leadership. So therefore, Terran, where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So certainly visiting my website, um, resilience with a C, leadership, www.resilience-leadership. Dot com is a great resource. You can become a member of our Resilience Leadership Tribe there, become an, an RL, Resilience Leadership Insider. We have lots of free resources on the website, articles, podcast recordings uh, like this one, uh, different interviews that I've done. So there's lots of free resources there. We're also going to be launching a course on resilience entitled Flourish or Fold, the Five Practices of particularly resilient people. We'll be launching that, I think, end of August, early September. So that'll be on the website as well. And, you know, Kathleen, if you're open to it, I'll, I'll get you the link for the course if you want to include that in the show notes. And then for just like a little daily injection of inspiration, um, you can certainly follow me. We have a business Facebook page under my name, Dr. Taryn Marie Stasekull. Also on my Instagram at Dr. Taryn Marie, M-A-R-I-E. So 
we look forward to connecting with you on all those platforms. Fantastic. And we will definitely include all the links, including the course link in the show notes. So you can, you don't have to remember everything and write everything down. You can simply use the show notes um, that you can find on my website. Fantastic. Taryn, it has been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Thank you so, so much for your warmth, your openness, and your fantastic insights. I think I speak for everyone who has listened to today's show that it has been hugely useful and in in the most positive sense, a thought provoking as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who has listened today. Again, love having you here with us and love having you tune in. Don't forget to do the same again next week as well. Until then, remain resilient, please. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Legendary Leaders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show, either on iTunes, Spotify, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com, so that you can hear more about our next episodes. I would also love to hear from you. To discover what topics you'd like to listen to on this podcast, please head over to kathleenmerkel.com forward slash podcast and let me know. You can also find me on Facebook in the Legendary Leaders Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to connecting with you again on our next episode of the Legendary Leaders Podcast. Take care. Bye.